I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A great Brazilian team. Gout, it's there. They're ahead. It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's okay now. The goalkeeper's beaten. And South Africa has their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. It's all. Oh, he's in the post. Theo has to. He's in the post. But it's finally in. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on. Sports Radio 92.9. The game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And and Jess, we usually come in and we're excited to talk about the games that happen during the day or preview what's coming up next. But we're just like everybody else who covers soccer, watches soccer, reads about soccer in this country. We're all in a state of shock, to be honest, with the news that has just broken in the last 90 minutes or so that Grant Wall, uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated, Fox Soccer, uh, if you have followed the game in this country, you know Grant Wall and you know his work. Uh, He's passed away covering this World Cup in Qatar. Uh, Kevin Baxter of the LA Times was there at the game uh, between Argentina and the Netherlands and wrote in his LA Times article that Wall uh, collapsed in the press box. He was treated by paramedics for approximately 30 minutes before being removed from the stadium on a stretcher, was pronounced dead Saturday morning in a Qatari hospital at 48 years old. I've been reading Grant Wall's work of covering this tournament specifically. He's been covering all aspects of the tournament, the off the field, the on the field. Um, He's done an amazing job in covering everything about this tournament. Some of the things that we don't like to to dig into, we don't like to talk about. He's been shining a light on all of it. And it's just a shock that I was following his Twitter timeline along this afternoon during the Argentina-Netherlands game, and I'm just in shock that he is no longer with us. Yeah, I think we're all devastated, Jason, because it's these moments that kind of make you reflect and ponder on, you know, how short life can be and how things can catch you by surprise. You talk about, you know, taking for granted, reading his tweets one minute and finding this out the next. I think it's so important that you highlight all of the the good work he's done during this World Cup, like you say, uh, of 
answering everyone's questions, of being our eyes and our ears in a place that we're not able to witness everything. You know, there's a lot of people showing the on the field stuff. We're seeing that, you know, on the TV. We're watching the games. We're loving the games. But I think where Grant Rule was set apart was with his stories about everything else that maybe we weren't able to hear from other sources of media. And he's been a, a big soccer journalist for all of us as we grow up falling in love with this game, as we inspire to be journalists, as we inspire to have our own voice. He's someone that you look up to because for me, he does it the right way. You know, he is an advocate for human rights. He's an advocate for women in sports. He's an advocate for everything that I believe in. And he's been someone that you look up to. And I think that these are the moments that just leave you a little speechless and leave you devastated because it just makes you realize that every day is a gift, you know, and you can't take any time for granted. Yeah, I never had the chance to meet Grant in person. I did an interview with him about his podcast series with Freddie Adu, which was one of the amazing pieces of work that, that Grant did in his career. Uh, and he was a, a great interview, was was super willing to talk about anything that, that I wanted to talk about. Um, just a, a really wonderful conversation. And you know, I think what I'm seeing from so many people who have known Grant or are, are like me, maybe did an interview with him, maybe interacted with him on social media or in the virtual world. Uh, Grant was somebody who I think was a, an incredible advocate for the sport that we love and for everyone in it, every aspect of the sport. He dedicated a, a ton of time and energy and probably his own money to covering the women's game. Mm -hmm. um, was always somebody who was out in front and, and covering that at the exact same level as covering the men's game. He's always been a champion for so civil rights, human rights, LGBTQ, all of that in the game. And I mean, it's just it's a shock. Uh, I'm, we're honestly like really trying to figure out how to process all of this as we're on with you tonight. And this is this is just one of the, the crazy things about doing this, you know, like news happens in real time and we're processing it just like you guys out there. And I think that just shows the impact that he's had on so many people. Right. You saw, you know, the bird app going crazy because everybody wanted to feel like it wasn't true. Nobody wanted to, to feel like this incredible human being was no longer with us. But uh, I think it's important now that we continue to share his voice and share his beliefs, because like you say, Jason, he was someone that wanted to change this game and to invite everybody into this game. And as a woman in sports, you can't appreciate people like that enough because there aren't enough of those people in high places with the voice, with the following that he had that are willing to advocate for everybody to belong, yet he did that. And I think that that means that the legacy will always be there, you know, and I think that's a beautiful thing that you can kind of hold on to in these moments. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier. Um, you know, he's he's been in Qatar. I can't remember how early he got there uh, before, cover, before the tournament started. He's been on the ground for a, a little while now. And he talked about it on, on his podcast and he wrote about it in his newsletter about uh, being sick earlier this week, I believe on Monday, he went to the hospital, um, was diagnosed with bronchitis, started medication. And I mean, you were you were saying it just like I was, you know, you hear his podcast and he sounded tired, you know, like all of us covering the tournament, except he's there. And the the respiratory illness, you know, we talked about it before the U.S. Netherlands game. It, it has felt like the climate. 
and the adjustment to it has been an issue for a lot of folks. We don't know anything about cause of death yet. It is still unknown. And uh, the U.S. government knows about this and they've been contacted. U.S. soccer, obviously, they issued a statement. So, you know, it is still very early in the process. But, you know, just hearing that this week and reading about it and seeing it and then finding this out tonight, it is an absolute shock. Yeah, I got a lump in my throat, honestly, Jason. It's really difficult to do this. I think this is why we do it, though, and you can't ignore it. And I think that the most important thing is that we're patient and we wait for answers because, like you say, we don't know anything yet. Everybody wants to know, and it's easy to try and figure things out. But I I know that no one will leave a stone unturned to get those answers, whatever they may be. And we just send our love, our prayers, our feelings, our thoughts for his entire family. Because if we're feeling like this as acquaintances, as colleagues, as fans, you can only imagine how those near and dear to him feel with him being so far away and this coming as such a shock for them as well. So I think that's the most important thing we can do right now is to think, to hope, to pray, to send positive vibes all over, because I think this is a really tough moment for everybody in the soccer community because of what a pivotal figurehead he was. Yeah, he was just honored by FIFA earlier this week for covering eight World Cups. This was his eighth World Cup. Um, One of the leading soccer writers in the United States ever, Grant Walls passed away uh, early Saturday morning in Qatar earlier this evening in the United States. We are going to try to talk about the soccer that happened today. Uh, We're going to do our best. We (laughs) make no guarantees about how this is going to go the rest of the day. This is kind of new territory for for both Jess and I. But we are going to talk about the games that happened today. And they were doozies across the board. There are so many storylines to get into it. Um, We're going to do our best to give that to you here in just a bit. We're going to take a quick break, try to reset, and come back and talk more World Cup on Atlanta soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. We're going to try to get into the soccer that happened today. Uh, Jess, this was one of the craziest days of action on the field in in any tournament I can remember in a long time, both games go to penalties. Both games had all these kinds of twists and turns and drama. And we were coming into the day and we came into the tournament expecting to see an Argentina Brazil semifinal. I thought if that was going to change, it would be the opposite of how things went down just based on the matchups. You know, we wondered if Croatia would have any legs in, in, to go into this thing after playing extra time, although we shouldn't have discounted the Croatians. And I thought the the Dutch could pull the upset on Argentina. I thought that game was a little bit more of a toss-up. It ended up being a toss-up. I did call it last night, though, Argentina and penalties. I did call that. Mm-hmm. I wish mm-hmm. I'd had some juice boxes on that, but I did not, unfortunately. Um, just a crazy day of penalties and lots of questions about strategy, in regulation, in extra time, and in the shootouts on both games that happened this afternoon. Mad, mad two games. I think it had a little bit of everything across all of them. And as a neutral for all four teams, I think I felt every wave of emotion possible throughout the game. I was biting my nails. I was shaking my head. I was yelling in frustration. I was standing up in awe of some magnificent moments. It really did have everything in terms of those two matches. Uh, I think that overall, though, the best two teams progressed into the semifinal. I think the two teams that came out and had the best tactics and continued with their game plan were successful in getting through. We know penalties can be a toss-up, but I truly think that Croatia had a game plan. They stuck to it. They were successful, and they deserved that spot getting into the semifinals. Croatia did what they had to do, and it's what they've done in this tournament. We'll, we'll get a little bit deeper into their tactics as, as we go into the 11 o'clock hour. Um, their first shot on target was their equalizer. Very, very late in that one. I mean, you had almost chalked it up to, all right, Brazil finally found the breakthrough. They're going to put this thing to bed. It's done. They're going to be moving on. And the equalizer comes as a shock kind of the same thing in the Argentina Netherlands game, except it was even later for an equalizer in regulation on one of the best free kick routines you will ever see. I told you I'm putting that in my playbook. Um, I'm coaching high school in January. And if the kids don't get that one down, I'm going to be very disappointed. It was magnificent. Uh, We were texting though, Jason. And I have to say, I've never been a fan of the man lying down behind the wall. I hate it. I think it's, I just think the amount of times that he's actually hit one in, one in a thousand, it feels like. And every time it happens, they say, that's why he's there. But what about every time it doesn't happen? You've wasted a player. You're not following the runner. And if there's not a man lying down there, guess where he is? He's marking the player that scores the goal. I think it's it's a weird tactic to me. I, I don't I don't like how it's entered the game. I like the days when no one thought to do that. Yeah, I think you can manage defending the free kick with the wall without that. You you have to manage your jump a little bit. got to make sure you have your toes pointing down, that kind of stuff. But yeah, when you have somebody laying down behind the wall, they're basically out of the play, and it opens up the possibility of what we saw the Dutch pull off in one of the last kicks 
of regulation in second half stoppage time. There's so much to dig into with that game. Uh, there's no way we're going to be able to do it complete and total justice because the backstory is even more than than we really talked it's about juicy. last night. It's very juicy, as we've discovered today, Jason. It is quite juicy, and there were some receipts paid in that game uh, by Argentine players going back a couple of decades uh, of revenge. Uh, if you're wondering why that game had such an edge to it, there's a lot more to it than just what you saw in that game, even just what you heard about this week between these two teams, although there was a lot. Um, there were a lot of things said coming into that. So it was a very interesting, emotional ride. I was not a neutral for both of these games. I was definitely not neutral watching the Argentina-Netherlands game. Um, I discovered soccer through Argentina and Diego Maradona in 1986, and I was yelling very loudly and probably freaking people out who were within earshot uh, multiple times in that game. It was an incredible match, and I mean, it's it's too early to try to put it into like my top five or top ten matches that I've seen, but it's gonna it's be close. on the list it, it's very close i think it it had everything didn't it and yeah. the drama and the emotion involved in it i think it had everything on and off the pitch it has every moment you see it has full team bench punch-ups it has everything yeah. doesn't it <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's got everything you would be looking for in a game it, it had amazing plays it had tactical chess match back and forth um, it had the Netherlands turning into, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an equivalent, Rushton and Diamonds, maybe. Uh, I mean, the, the smallest, most past. English <laughs> team of English teams uh, with a 6-6 forward and a, a 6-2 forward, very undutch like And it got them back into the game. And, and they found a way out of nothing to equalize it. Then it looked like at the end of extra time, Argentina was going to find a winner. They hit the post oh. with one of the last kicks of extra time. And then penalties, which was a soap opera in and of itself. It was seriously at this level at a World Cup. I mean, the 86 final that I watched, the first final I ever saw, um, the U.S.-Algeria game in, in 2010 because of what it meant to U.S. soccer and because mm -hmm. of the ending, there's not a lot of other games that are at that kind of a level. On the U.S.-Canada Women's Olympic semifinal mm. um, in 2012 at Old Trafford, mm -hmm. that's up there because that had, I mean, that had an indirect kick off of a goalkeeper holding the ball. That had a six-second rule. When has yeah. that ever happened? I've never seen it again. So, I mean, that's up there. Um, but this game was definitely at that kind of a level for being played at such a high level, having all kinds of incredible players. Best pass of the World Cup? Best pass of my life, possibly. Um, the, the pass from Messi to create the first goal is, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he saw it. He's just a magician. Uh, it had everything. And, and then it had that edge to it as well, that whether you were a neutral or not, it, it's a game that sucks you in because of big tackles, of late hits, of trash talking, of all kinds of drama in it. 
we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the, the nuts and bolts of how that game went down. We're going to talk about how Croatia got it done against Brazil. And we're going to look ahead to tomorrow where you're probably looking at a very gritty Morocco-Portugal game and then potentially a very wide-open, crazy England-France game that I'm sorry, you're, you're probably going to struggle with tomorrow, Jess. Don't, don't. I didn't want to talk about it, Jason. <laughs> oh, we're going to. We're going to talk about all of that and more. We got another hour of Atlanta soccer tonight coming up after this three minute break. Come back and join us on 929 The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Taking a look back at today's matches with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Trying to make sense uh, of what happened today at the World Cup on the field. And these two games, Jess, were very complicated affairs. We've chosen to start with the second game of the two. Argentina and the Netherlands and I don't know how many texts we were sending back and forth during this but it felt like they were kind of turning into all caps yelling <laughs> by the end of it because of all the insanity that happened there's a lot of OMG going on I think every time a play happened it was an incredible game as we keep saying there aren't the superlatives for how amazing this game was I think it was a lot more um, nerve-wracking for you. I was enjoying it yeah. with less emotional investment going on. If I'm completely honest with you, I was trying to sit back and relax. I don't think you are able to do any relaxing, but 
Uh, I thought at 2-0 it was going to be Argentina's day. I thought they were going to be able to cruise through this one. The Netherlands had other ideas, but it was a great start for Argentina. The goals in terms of that first goal, I think we have to touch on it again. I know we've mentioned the pass, but the no-look splitting pass, beautiful, just unbelievable vision to cut through the defense, to find that passing lane. I, I retweeted something where it showed the moment before he took the pass and there is no passing lane. There is no, even from the aerial shot, you cannot see where he could have possibly threaded through that ball into a player that was able to score. Only Messi in the world can find a pass like that. I, I just, I have no superlatives for that pass, Jason Longshot. He, he's a magician. There, there is no way to explain it because there's nobody else who could hit that pass, I don't think. Uh, when he hit the pass and, and it got through the back line, I yelled before I, I think it was even touched by Molina uh, because it's just it's an incredible ball from an incredible player. Um, let's talk about how this thing got started, maybe take it up to the second goal. Because you're right, Argentina was in pretty good control of things. I think the Dutch stuck with the same idea in how they play as we've seen in the tournament. They did make a subtle change from the way they faced the United States. Cody Gakpo started as a number 10. He started in the midfield. He moved into the midfield against the U.S. Steven Bergwijn started up top. That didn't really work all that well. And, and the Dutch tried, they did the opposite of what they did against the U.S. in terms of how they, they pressured Argentina. They tried to force them into the middle. They, they tried to get it crowded there rather than the, the funnel of forcing it out wide. Well, what Argentina ended up doing, and, and I thought they did it to really good effect before that first goal, was they use the outside as almost like a backboard. They, they play to the outside and then bounce it back in into more dangerous spaces um, because the strength of the Argentine team is central. And, and Lionel Messi's part of that. He can pop up anywhere, but he's at his best in that central channel. That central channel, about 10 yards wide through the middle of the field, about 20 yards wide. The center circle up and down into the attacking half. That's where he thrives. He's at his best. And that's where he received this and was able to get on the run to create that goal. I thought that once Argentina got the goal, I was honestly kind of surprised that the Dutch didn't have an immediate response. It didn't really feel like anything changed for them. Didn't feel like anything changed for them at halftime. They, they moved a couple pieces around and, and did a couple of, of things different. At halftime, they brought in Bergweiss for Bergwijn and, and Koopmeyers for Deron and it was kind of a little bit of the same. Gakpo went up top. Gakpo was pretty anonymous in this. Uh, DePaul couldn't continue. He went as long as he could. We knew there was an injury concern for him. He gets to the 66th minute. Paredes comes in, and he was a firecracker when he came into the match. We'll talk about him in a second. But Messi converts on the penalty, and it's 2-0. And you think that it's cruising at that point. To the point that Argentina makes a couple of subs, getting guys on yellow cards out. They bring in Pesela. They, they, they have Taliafico come on for Acuna. They brought in Lautaro Martinez. But the Dutch did one big thing. It was a two-pronged move. The first one was in the 64th minute before the Messi penalty. Second one was in the 78th where it really turned into 1967 third division England. 
and, and I'm not trying to take and a crack wrong, at the English. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing. Well, wrong it worked. It, it worked. And when you have a six-six forward to come into the game and a six-two forward to come into the game, it is the antithesis of how the Dutch play. But it worked because you don't have a matchup for that. And Argentina had no height back there. They had nothing. There was such a disadvantage for Argentina. And you could see how uncomfortable they were trying to defend, trying to handle the size. They couldn't do it. And it was a huge change in the game. It was a brave adjustment because, as you say, Jason, it's the complete opposite of any way that the Netherlands want to play. But sometimes you have to see where the weakness is in an opposition and you have to see where you have the strengths to capitalize on that. And it worked. It wasn't pretty, but it sure worked in getting back into the game. And it gave them an opportunity to try and fight further for that semi-final position instead of laying down and dying. And I think after that first goal, like you say, they were uninspired. They yeah. they really didn't look good until they made the adjustments. They didn't look like they had any way to threaten Argentina. So good choices from Louis van Gaal to make those adjustments and kind of sacrifice maybe the Dutch way to try and get the goals back. Yeah, he doesn't care about the Dutch way. Um, <laughs> he'll he'll talk a big game about the Dutch way, but it, you know this is something that he's done in his career. This is this is Plan B for Louis Van Gaal, and and look, it works. I mean, this is why you have Wout Weghorst on on your roster. It's why you have Luke De Jong on the roster. You didn't really use them at all, but this is why you have them. And I feel like we talked about that on the, our preview podcast, and I feel like we talked about that in the build up to the U.S. game that that was the Plan B. That was the alternative. Mm-hmm. You've got these big number nines if you have to get to that point in the match. They hadn't really had to do it. You had to here. And when Veghorst got the first one, you saw the fear in mm. Argentina. And, and that was where they looked really shook and rattled. It's a, it's a good header. It's a good goal. It's 2-1 at that point. And then it is holding on. Now, the free kick, it's at the top of the 18. I feel like there was the potential for a – actually, let me go back because Paredes is involved in something before that. Paredes got a yellow card for a tackle and kicked the ball into the stand or kicked the ball into the bench for the Dutch, the Dutch bench. That could have been two yellows and him sent off mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. Definitely could have been. Um, we've seen it given. I don't poor, poor, poor move on his part. Let's be honest. The foul, listen, those fouls yeah. happen. The yeah, the, the foul was a foul. to smash it into the bench. Poor, poor move. Most referees see that. And they give a yellow. I wonder if the reaction from the Dutch bench mm. and charging onto the pitch actually reduced the referee's decision to give the yellow. Because if he shows a yellow, he's going to then have to go to every Dutch player that entered yep. the field and hand out yellow cards like they're candy. So I think the Dutch reaction actually saved him because yep. the referee didn't want to have to give, even though, I mean, he'd had no issues giving out cards all day, let's be honest. But yeah. He didn't want to do it in that moment. Yeah, our referee, uh, Lajos, who we've seen in this tournament before, and if you follow the Champions League or or La Liga, you know him. He likes to be the center of attention, and he kind of made himself the center of attention with the way he managed this game. I don't think he managed it well from any standpoint, from a Dutch standpoint, from an Argentine standpoint, any standpoint. I thought he was bad in his game management. I mean, the calls he made, did he change anything with it? The, The free kick for the Dutch... I didn't love the call. I, I think Pesela with his arms in the back, with his hands in the back of Veghorst, 
is what gets the call. I feel like yeah. Veghorst is plowing over Paredes in the beginning of the sequence. And he wasn't pushed into him. He's already running him over. But when you have a defender with the arms out on somebody's back, it becomes easy to make that call. That's the call that happened. Messi got a yellow card there. I know there's a lot of people on the Dutch side of things who are saying that Messi should have been sent off. It was even said on the Fox broadcast that, well, Messi should have had a yellow before for a handball. Messi doesn't get a second yellow for descent if he's on a yellow. No, let's, he's a let's smart enough player. Messi yeah. doesn't get into that conversation to the same level if he's right. on a yellow card. Messi's not the guy that takes off his shirt when he's on a yellow card. <laughs> yeah. He has enough of a soccer IQ to be able right. to perform under that pressure. I will say, though, the handball should have been a yellow card. It should have been a yellow. Can't disagree with that. It should have been a yellow. That's <laughs> fine. It should have been a yellow. Um, but he wouldn't have got the second yellow. That wouldn't have happened. He no. wouldn't have put himself in the situation. The free kick routine, we already talked about it. It's brilliant. Um, it's Vegors has scored on one just like this before mm -hmm. from the Bundesliga, which is amazing that they were able to recall it. It reminded me in some ways of Sweden's free kick goal in 1994, which is another one where you set up looking like it's going to be a shot and you have somebody kind of sneak to the side of the wall. And that one, I think they actually ran around the wall. This one, you're just expecting the shot. And it caught everyone by surprise. It, and I think what brilliant. helped Jason was there was a free kick, very similar position yep. earlier on where they struck it. They hit the wall. It yep. wasn't a fantastic free kick, but you could tell the guy was kind of preparing in the same way. So I think that lured Argentina into thinking, oh, they're going to try it again sort of thing. Yeah, 100%. And, and it converts. And it's in. And I think at that point, well, one, I'm like, how are both teams going to reset here? Because the Dutch are in a very un-Dutch kind of shape. And how are they going to play? And Argentina, how are they going to react to this emotionally and get back on track? And I think the first 15 minutes of extra time were really both teams trying to reset. I think both mm -hmm. teams were trying to get their footing again. Because that's a crazy way for the game to end in regulation. The second 15 minutes of extra time, I thought Argentina was going to win it. I really did. It, it was a game where the last maybe five to 10 minutes of extra time, it felt like an Argentine goal was coming. And Enzo Fernandez <sighs> almost wins it with a Golasso hitting the post with almost the last kick of the match. Yeah, it was a gorgeous shot. It was such the perfect strike. Clean, clean strike. Hit, as you mentioned, the side of the post. And that would have been, you know, heroic for him to have been able to put the game to bed in that moment. I thought the Dutch didn't do as well as they could have in extra time. I'm not sure if they were emotionally not there, if they had kind of depleted and given everything that they had, but I thought they had found a, a way to really undo this Argentine side in terms of the long ball, in terms of the physicality. And I didn't see as much of it as I would like to in the extra time. I'm wondering, we heard Louis van Gaal talk about it, earlier on, he felt like his side had the advantage if they went to penalty kicks. Yep. I'm wondering if he was very content with seeing this game go to penalties and didn't want to take the gamble of maybe pushing forward. And as we know now, <laughs> hindsight's a really useful thing, but maybe that wasn't the best tactic having seen Argentina from the penalty spot. No, there, there was a lot of misplaced confidence in my opinion coming into this game from the Dutch and it's a little surprising. We we've talked about it during the tournament with Louis van Hall being a character saying crazy things. Um, 
just all kinds of stuff. He's been fighting with the Dutch media the whole time. He said some things and some other Dutch personalities said some things that were not well received by the Argentine camp coming into this. And penalties is part of it. Um, Andreas Nopert, the, the goalkeeper for the Dutch, who hadn't started a game for the, the Netherlands national team before this tournament, he said every shot by Messi will be stopped. Hmm. Messi put two penalties past him. One in why, regulation. Why? I just, oh, I yeah, why? I, 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 this is the thing, right? It, okay. Martinez in goal has saved enough penalties to talk a little bit of trash about being able to save penalties. Yes. Right? You're a guy that has only just began starting for your national team. Yes. I, I just, you've got to have the resume to back up the interview right you've got to and he just didn't have it it's i'm all for goalkeepers being a little cocky it takes a special breed let's be honest you have to be a little overconfident a little chatty i should know Uh but don't get caught talking about the best player in the world saying you're going to save every single shot from him when you know he's going to be able to do something at some point in a game that you're not going to have any human control over yeah, um, I, I, there's a phrase that I can't say in, in our, our, our <laughs> format um, that we talked about earlier. Jamie Vardy would probably get the credit on this one for popularizing it. You, you can go look it up if you're wondering what it is. But we talked about it with Brazil, with the dancing. I have no problem with having confidence, being having a big personality, celebrating goals, being you know being outspoken. Any of that is fine, but it can't come back to bite you. And in this case, it provided fuel to Argentina. And what we learned really afterwards, and and probably should have paid a little bit closer attention to Messi's celebration after his penalty and regulation, because he celebrated in front of the Dutch bench, as close as he could get to the Dutch bench at that point, uh, with a celebration that um, probably is most associated with Juan Roman Riquelme who was uh, famously trashed in the media by Louis van Gaal at Barcelona like 20 years ago. Riquelme is a legend in Argentine soccer. Messi did his celebration facing the Dutch bench after the goal in regulation to make it 2-0. That's where the game was in terms of vibes. You go into penalties – and I think the the Argentine finish to extra time, giving them that momentum, they go into penalties on a high. And then you get two saves to start the penalties from Dibu Martinez and two really good saves. Yeah, which, again, Fox, sorry to call them out, but needs to stop talking about how that penalty was in the ideal spot. That's where every goalkeeper wants. Nine times out of ten, he saves that. No. Did you see his movement across the goal? Did you see his athleticism to go and make that save? It's garbage. They're two fantastic saves. But we know Martinez is confident from those penalty spots. We know. I think that that's what helps Argentina so much. You would be confident. I bet most of those players would have bet a lot of juice boxes on the fact he would make at least one save in the shootout. How can you not back him? And I think that, again, don't discredit those saves. They were two wonderful saves. They were two really impressive saves. That's what started the penalty run for Argentina. Enzo Enzo Fernandez has an opportunity to win it. He doesn't. He misses. 
but then Argentina does get the win. And yes, there was trash talked afterwards. Uh, there were conversations afterwards. We're going to talk about more of that. We're going to get into Brazil and Croatia, and we're going to look ahead to Saturday's matches coming up after this. We'll be back in three minutes on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Look at all of today's matches on Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Let's go! On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, the game and the Odyssey app. Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. Trying to make sense of everything we saw on the field in Argentina and the Netherlands and Croatia, Brazil. We're going to get to that second game here in just a minute, but Jess, we were trading all of the the tweets coming out of media from, from Argentina, from all over the world, in the aftermath of Argentina's win on penalties. And, I mean, you saw a different side of Lionel Messi in this match. You saw not a different side. I think the, the same side we're accustomed to when it comes to Emiliano Martinez with comment <laughs> after the match. But... um. One of the things that was talked about here, and there's a there's a lot of backstory. I feel like it's important to kind of cover this because some people are are taken aback a little bit by how things went down and some of the the videos and things they're seeing. Uh, Leo Messi was fired up about this game in general because there were things said by Van Hall about having a plan for Messi and being able to deal with Messi by other leading members of the the Dutch soccer community about how Messi doesn't do this or Messi doesn't do that. Van Hall talking about Messi not really doing anything off the ball defensively to the point that Lionel Scaloni in the the post-game media said that we play with 11, we defend with 11. And that's kind of referring to what was said about Messi. But again, then also going back to the Juan Roman Riquelme incident with Louis Van Hall, because that's famously what Van Hall said about Raquel May to Raquel May. That's the quote that was given to him from Van Hall about, you know, you're great on the ball, but you don't give us anything when you don't have the ball. And it's that's getting referenced. Van Hall talking about how great the Dutch played in this tournament is getting referenced by Messi saying, well, yeah, he talks all about playing such great soccer, and then they just come in and throw long balls, which is what they did. This game had such a serious edge to it that I, we hadn't seen in this tournament yet, and we rarely see at this level. 
why we love the game though isn't it these emotional stories this tension between teams Uh, I think Louis van Hol put his foot in his mouth though honestly I think that these comments if anyone learned anything they should have learned uh, about the Canada manager and his comments he made when he inspired Croatia's great uh, defeat of the Canadians and I just think that if there's a player you don't pick on again do you really want to add fuel under the fire of Messi do you really want to give him a reason to play any better against your side. You don't. And when you're in a post-game press conference and players are bringing up your comments as motivation, Dibu Martinez goes in and says, he overheard or like heard about the comments about the Netherlands having an advantage when it comes to penalty kicks. And he reread and read that as his motivation consistently. And I'm sure that's why he did even more research than expected when it came to penalties, he was even more prepared to make those saves. And you saw it in the aftermath. There may have been some very rude words said to the bench about how he did something twice and it wasn't safe yeah. penalty. And he it said it in multiple penalty. languages too. Hey, he's very bilingual. I love his English accent. He is. <laughs> <laughs> he's but a very again, vocal person. Yeah, to the referees as well. But yeah. you don't need to inspire any more of this motivation for some of the best players in the world. It just doesn't make sense to me. For me, I wouldn't want my coaches talking like that either as a player. I want to prove a point on the pitch. I don't need any of the extra drama outside of it. It was always going to be a challenge. And I think that that was a immature move from a very experienced coach that doesn't seem to have learned his lesson. Yeah, he's, he's, I, I don't want to say he's, he's smarter than that because he's always been outspoken and it's just part of who Louis van Hall is. He's also one of the greatest coaches um, to ever be involved in the game. There's no way around that. You saw it tonight with the the free kick. You you saw it with that routine. You saw it with the changes to get back into the game, sacrificing style for effectiveness. He, He did a brilliant job in this tournament with a Dutch team that was good, not great, but good and i thought he got more out of them than maybe they should have gotten based on pure talent that's a credit to louis van hall but at times his mouth has gotten him in trouble again not just here but in other jobs as well and it's just it's part of his makeup uh when you have leandro paredes saying after the game when messi gets angry he's dangerous which i mean is a known fact like if you know the game that's just how it is um that was said after the game when you have uh, emmy martinez saying before the game messi told me he would score two goals he scored one and assisted one and he talked about converting in the shootout as well he said he did more actually when you've got messi that fired up coming into the game to the point that he is referencing a player that louis van hall threw under the bus in 2002 and That's celebrating a long grudge. The it's a very yeah. long grudge. <laughs> it is, well, it's Messi getting revenge for a, a former teammate, uh, a fellow legend. Um, and when that celebration is then getting shared by Javier Mascherano and other Argentine legends, like it, this game, and we said it last night, this is one of the most played matches at a World Cup between European and South American countries. Uh, It's right there now with Brazil and Sweden and Argentina and and Germany, who we've seen in three finals. This one, after what we saw here and everything that went into it, this is a nasty rivalry. And if they play again at a World Cup, just 
buckle up for for. I hope that happens in Atlanta. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? I don't know if I'll be able to handle that in person if if we see that because wow, it was an amazing match and it was one of those that will you know live on as one of the greatest spectacles at a tournament. It had great soccer, but it also had great drama and all the extracurriculars you could ever ask for. The first game of the day didn't have all of that to it. It was a very interesting match, in my opinion, between Croatia and Brazil. It was kind of a slow-burning match. The first half, there wasn't a ton going on. I think Croatia made things difficult for Brazil and did a good job of that. As the second half got going, I was surprised at the first two subs for Brazil, pulling Rafinha and then Vinny Jr. Vinny wasn't super involved in the first half, but I thought he looked dangerous every time he had the ball. And to be pulled in the 64th minute, that felt a little unnecessary at that stage, in my opinion. I would tend to agree because we've seen what he can do. And I think that some of the best forward players have quiet moments in matches, right? The reason you leave them on the pitch, if they're not injured, if they're not tired, is because they're going to be able to have an impact once they get the opportunity. All it would take is for him to get on the ball a little bit more, make the adjustment, and we saw what he can do. So I think it was an early judgment call, and I think it was probably a poor decision because I don't think he was ready to exit the field. I don't think the impact that he could have had on this game was quite used up yet. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, It felt like maybe a a little too anxious at not finding the breakthrough from Chi-Chi. I did not see that coming. Uh, Nothing happened in the second 45 in terms of goals. It goes to extra time. And then at the very end of the first 15 minutes of extra time, what a goal that is going to be lost in the shuffle now that Brazil didn't get through. It shouldn't because the goal from Neymar is... I would, I said it at the time mm-hmm. again, now with the result, maybe it, it does change it a bit, but it felt like the goal of the tournament at the time. The it receipts. was that good. I got the receipts from you. You definitely said that. And it was one that had my mouth open because when you see the different angles, you see the movement, the give and the go, the way that Neymar finds himself in there, the fact that he's still got a lot to do. Yeah. I think people see you one-on-one with a goalkeeper and you think, okay, not, not too difficult, but the goalkeeper comes out well he still has to take the perfect touch and find a good finish to make sure it counts for anything. And I just think that was the goal that showed us what Brazil can do in this tournament. It it really was the, you know, perfect diagram of how the Brazilians can play, how they can move the ball around, how they can create space and leave defenders rooted like statues in the ground. The issue was they couldn't do it more than once. And it took until extra time to really get that breakdown of the Croatians. Yeah, I think Livakovic, the, the goalkeeper, was incredible in this oh my match. Gosh. He's he's in the, the lead for the Golden Glove Award for best goalkeeper of the tournament. Ten saves on, on the day. Uh, only one after that. It, it felt like that goal was the breaking point. I, and I probably one of the reasons I felt like that was the goal of the tournament when it goes in is game over. Brazil's got it wrapped. There's mm-hmm. 15 more minutes here. There's no way Croatia can come back into it. It's over, done and dusted. There might be another one for Brazil, and and it's done. And that was not the case. Um, 
Croatia gets one, I mean, against the run of play. I don't know if that's fair. Uh, Bruno Petkovic gets it in the 117th minute. Brazil, just, I think everybody, and I, Croatia to a point too. I, I felt like the game was kind of fizzling at that point. Petkovic equalizes, so then you're you're trying to get your head around going to penalties. And Brazil completely botched the penalty shootout, in my opinion completely and we saw it later in the second game where both captains step up and go first okay brazil starts with rodrigo who came off the bench and their fourth kicker was marquinhos where was neymar uh, can we please remind people too that you don't have to have the list of the five players that you send them up because i think so many people were talking about how you had to have your specific de designation but i've been doing the reading and you don't have to if, have if the order. you don't have to have the order ahead of time, then that has changed somewhat recently. So I've been doing the reading, yeah, and it said that no order has to be given. And even if there was an order, why is he fifth? We talked about this. Yeah, on if the there's show. an order, there's no way we I'm putting him fifth. There's no way he's fifth. You don't know you're going to get to the fifth. You put them first. You make your captain step up. He's already taken penalties. He's already scored penalties. Get him out of the way. Lead by example. Settle the nerves. And I just think that it makes no sense to me. And I also honestly can't stand bringing people on specifically for penalties. I get that there are quote unquote specific yeah. penalty takers, but if it's the first ball that you strike all game, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to wake up to that moment and be the first and to take that responsibility. And I think that it was very poor judgment in order of who took the penalties. Yeah. I don't know why you start with Rodrigo who had, had been on for a little bit. He'd been, he came in the second half, but, I mean, it didn't seem like a day that I'm like, yeah, Rodrigo's great here. Let him take the first penalty. And if you don't have to have the order, if that's where this has changed, and and look, the, the laws of the game feel like they're changing every five minutes, and we do our best to keep up with everything. If that's the case, then there's no excuse for not having Neymar take the fourth, where your, your World Cup is on the line. If your order is set, you shouldn't have him fifth because of this, because you can't get to this point because if you want to save your best kicker for not being first, okay, they have to be fourth because that's the most likely spot where you're in this situation. If you have a miss earlier, if the other team's perfect, fourth is as low as I would go without starting them. Fourth is as low as I would go with my best kicker or my second. You think he was fifth or you think he didn't want one because they haven't come out and said anything, right? I can't imagine Neymar not wanting one. I, I, I can't imagine Neymar saying no. I, I really cannot imagine that. I I just, I can't see it. I, I think he does take his role in this team very seriously. I, I mm -hmm. don't think he would say no. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that he did not go at least fourth. Marquinhos misses. Uh, Livakovic makes the save on Rodrigo, the first one. Croatian penalties are all money. And that's it. And that's it. It's over. And Brazil's expected World Cup win is over when three minutes before extra time is over, it felt like at 1-0, it's ball game for Brazil. It flipped that fast. And I've seen the screenshot right before the goal. Brazil were gambling bodies forward with the 1-0 lead. And I think that I get it. Maybe you have confidence in yourself. You think you can score a second. You want that reassurance goal. But 
that's where game management really comes in and playing yep. smart. You don't need another goal. It's okay sometimes to play defensive, to play possessionally defensively. You don't always have to be looking for the ball and turning it over when you're taking a gamble, pushing bodies forward. To me, it wasn't the right move to be looking for another goal. Just settle down, keep the ball, and make the Croatians chase. There's going to be a lot of conversation in Brazil about what went wrong here, and there needs to be. I think Chichi's run, it's now over. He was going to take a break uh, after the tournament, regardless of how it ended. He'd already said that. He had an amazing run with Brazil, and it's going to end as a failure because if Brazil doesn't get to the final, it's seen as a failure. And it has to be going out here and going out in the way that they did. And it's not the first time that they got reckless with a lead or reckless with a result that they were in control of. It's not the first time. It probably won't be the last time. It's the Brazilian way to always go try to score more goals. You had to lock that one down because I didn't feel like Croatia really had a way back in until it was at least the door was opened by Brazil. So Brazil's out. Croatia will play Argentina in one semifinal. I don't think many people had that one on the board. We'll see what the other semifinal is. We'll learn that tomorrow. We'll preview Morocco and Portugal, France and England in three minutes on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. And Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back. Atlanta Soccer Tonight wrapping up the World Cup action from today. We know one semifinal, Argentina and Croatia. We will learn the other semifinal tomorrow at some point in the afternoon. Just judging from today's games, it might not be for a while. Sorry, Jess. Uh, the first <laughs> game is Portugal and Morocco. I know you'll be kind of maybe one eye on this, another eye on freaking out about England and France. But let's talk just about a couple of the storylines coming into this. Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be a storyline when it comes to Portugal. I don't see how he could start in this game at all. No. How, how can you replace a guy that's got a hat trick? And, and let's be honest. Did he do that much when he came off the bench, really? I know he had the ball in the back of the net, but he was offside, as seems to be a very common thread in his career now. He just seems to be caught offside because he doesn't track back, because he doesn't have the energy, because he's not in the same place in his career right now. I think it would be a wild move. And I think you've already got the support of the Portuguese right now because your gamble paid off. I think it's a safer move to put him on the bench now rather than to drop the pistol, the pistol, as they like to call him, up top. Yeah, I feel like with what Gonzalo Ramos did in that match, you have to play him here. He's going to be a player that will be a bit of a handful for Morocco. And and look, we know how Morocco is going to approach this game. Uh, Waleed Regragi, I always struggle with his name, uh, the manager for Morocco. He came in in August. He only had the friendlies in September and I think one before the tournament to get his team ready. They have been incredible defensively. But they've had to sacrifice really uh, attacking in in a normal sense. They they don't get numbers forward. They're great on the break. They're great on the counter. But they're going to have numbers behind the ball. But 
it's not a passive low block, which is one of the exciting new phrases that really gets thrown around a lot in, in, in world soccer. It's not a passive low block. It's going to be a defense that sits deep. But when you get into player zones, it becomes aggressive. That can be a little jarring. And I think it will be disruptive to Portugal at times. But Ramos and his movement is going to be key. And I really feel like this is a game where Bruno Fernandes needs the space to be able to try to pick out that pass. There's not going to be a lot of space but he's going to need to find it with the ball to be dangerous here. Something that really Spain was not able to do against Morocco. And I think he needs the flexibility to make decisions on the pitch, which maybe he doesn't make when Cristiano Ronaldo's on the pitch. We talked about the way that this Portuguese side looks almost mechanic when Cristiano Ronaldo is on the pitch because they feel like the option is to get it wide and swing in crosses to him. They have to find him. He is their target man. I think when Ramos is on the pitch, he offers a different dynamic. We also talked about Spain lacking the number nine. They didn't have a player like Gonzalo Ramos to find with the ball at his feet, to be a dangerous player, to have the eye for goal. And, you know, you don't take a player out of the lineup when they're as hot as Ramos was in that game. We talked about the three goals, how different they were, how they displayed his ability to cut in front, to find a tap in, his ability to take a strike with the incredible near post strike. He's just a very complete player in terms of the different ways he can hurt the Moroccan defense. And when you're a defense that's only conceded one goal and it was an own goal, you want to make sure from a Portuguese perspective, you're able to challenge him with your best personnel on the pitch in terms of threatening in front of goal. Yeah, I feel like if you have Cristiano Ronaldo on the pitch for this game, you're then reduced in your offense to getting the ball wide and putting in crosses. And I think that's much easier for a lower block to deal with. You're able to try to cut off the, the, the service from the wide positions, and you're able to get numbers around Cristiano Ronaldo, who's obviously great in the air. That's the, the one element of his game that is still world-class, in my opinion. <laughs> but that's easier to defend than somebody like Gonzalo Ramos with his movement, with his unpredictability, and Bruno Fernandes. And Joao Felix. I think this is a big game for Joao Felix, who is being talked about with a potential move out of Atletico Madrid. He's going to have a lot to prove here, as will Bruno Fernandes. I, I do think Portugal gets through. I think teams that are that come into it like Morocco, that play so defensively, that have so much behind the ball, that wears on you. Uh, I talked about it last night. Um, Sofian Amrabat, who is one of my new favorite players from this tournament, Amrabat is, is I don't know how he's still doing what he's doing. I mean, he had an injection at 3 a.m. before the game to play in the last one. He's in the hyperbaric chamber, at like minus 170 degrees to try to recover from the last one to get into this one. I don't, I think at some point you run out of gas and Portugal should be able to find the breakthrough. If Morocco finds a way through, Jess, I think they have to do it with a goal early that rattles Portugal and gets them maybe pressing a bit. And then you start to have an emotional issue in the game with Portugal. I think on talent and physicality, Portugal will find a way to win eventually. But if Morocco scores early, can Portugal handle the adversity? I don't really know yet. I think that's exactly right, Jason. I think 
Morocco needs to go. I can't imagine it being possible to hold it nil-nil for 120 minutes. I just can't in this one. I can't foresee that they have that energy, that ability to find the fourth, fifth, sixth wind and encouragement again and again and again. But if you get a goal, it changes the game because then you know that you don't have to be quite so intense because you have that cushion. You also know it's going to shoot that wind out of the Portuguese sails because they're going to find themselves in a position that they didn't expect to coming into this one. I will touch again on the cliche that sometimes teams cruise into a, a game and then they're not as prepared as maybe they would like. Morocco had a real challenge in their uh, last 16 game that Portugal didn't have. So maybe that's the one thing that works in favour if Portugal does underestimate the challenge that's ahead of them. But I think that they are grounded enough to realise and Morocco now is well enough known in what they're going to do because they've done it consistently throughout the tournament that Portugal has enough tape, enough examples now to see what they need to do differently from the Spaniards to have success. Yeah, I think the difference between Croatia and, and Morocco, because both are coming in in similar situations, they're underdogs, not as much of an underdog Croatia as Morocco is, but they were underdogs that come in off of 120 minutes and penalties and, and they found their way through and you worry about the gas tank. The difference is Croatia was able to have about 50% of the ball against Brazil. And they were able to use the ball to rest at times. They were able to get on the ball, knock it around, and slow the Possession with down. purpose, as you said, Jason. Possession it, it, with purpose. Yes, with purpose. Possession without purpose is the buzz phrase of this tournament that is so, so grating. Um, <laughs> possession with purpose. It can have a bunch of different purposes. Croatia used it at times to rest. They, they absolutely did. Luka Modric was brilliant in, in slowing the game down at times when his team needed to, to breathe, needed to rest. Morocco doesn't really do that, so they're not going to have those moments to rest. They're going to be under it the whole time. Pressure from Portugal. How long can they handle that? Without an early goal, I just don't know if they can. If, if I'm Morocco, and I, it runs against their, their way a little bit, I would actually first 15, 20 minutes, whatever you want to set the, the timer. I would try to flip the game on its head and throw a surprise and be aggressive mm. and get numbers forward and play in a little bit different manner before retreating into where they're comfortable. I would give it a go early and see if you can catch Portugal out, catch them by surprise. And if you can't, then, OK, you got to sit back and defend and you got to look for your counters and your opportunities that way. England, France, I don't think anybody's going to sit back and just defend in this one. I, I don't think either team's really built to do that. Um, England would be probably the one that would do it more than France would. But I don't think this game takes it that way. I think France defensively, there are question marks. We know their firepower. I think they'll score. I think England will score because of France's defense. And I think we could have a, a high scoring one on our hands tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I don't know how much of that my heart can take, but I will take lots of English goals, that is for certain. I do think that France, of course, has the firepower. We've talked about it so much. It's not just about Mbappe. It's about everybody around him that can have an impact. However, the French defence hasn't been tested as well as it will be done against England because we've seen that England has goals in them, a lot of goals in them from different angles, from different players, from different personnel, from different styles. And I think it will be the first time that France is attacked in a variety of ways by the English. My one prayer to the gods is that we do play the way that we've been playing with a back four and we don't go into the back three. I don't 
want to see us sacrifice that forward going power because that immediately swings things in favor to the French. If you see that adjustment in formation, it's immediately going to see show France, oh, they're scared of us. They 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 are concerned. They want to play more defensive. And I don't think you want to send that signal before kickoff. And I think that listen, England is doing better historically. You know, during my life there's been some very nervous moments. There's been some very big flops in tournaments, but I feel like under Southgate we're doing a lot better with controlling the emotions of these games of understanding the pressure and understanding the game management side of things so i think that we are prepared more than ever to face this french side and you're hearing it in the press conferences as the players speak they aren't here to make up numbers they're here because they believe they can go toe-to-toe with this french side and i think that yes the french is probably superior on the offensive side of the pitch but i use the word balanced with this English side, because I think between the defense, the midfield and the offense, we have the stronger balanced side. Yeah. I think the player who gives them the balance is Jordan Henderson. Uh, And we didn't see him at the very beginning of the tournament. He started the last match. We saw him come in against the U S and I thought he, he really stabilized things for England in that match in a midfield that was having some problems with the U S midfield. Jordan Henderson gives them even better balance. And we had a chance earlier today to talk to uh, one of the best coaches in in soccer in Atlanta, in my opinion, Ed Joyce, the head coach of the Georgia State University women's soccer team. Uh, He's going to be about as nervous as you tomorrow. He's a little on edge as well. But uh, talking about Jordan Henderson, here's Ed Joyce's thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, I've never been, I think Mason Mount's a fantastic player. I've never been been wowed by him playing for England. And, you know, I think it was a brave decision by Southgate because he's obviously a big fan of his. And I've seen Mason Mount play in some, some ways tactically that he wants him to. But, you know, we won the first game pretty comfortably and he made a move. And, you know, to be fair to Southgate, he stuck to, the, to his guns. And I can't see Henderson not playing tomorrow, to be honest, um, simply because it allows Bellingham be way more impactful in the press higher and it allows it to be more flexible and push Henderson high in the press which he likes to do and maybe cause the French a bit more problems because I guess for me if I look at it tactically the area that I think we you can get at them is probably center back with the French you know I think that's where they're probably not as strong as they have been previously just with Varane being just a little bit older um, and not coming off a fantastic season or season in a bit for United um, I'm hoping they don't play Canate if I'm honest because <laughs> he was he, he was cruise control in the first game and then kind of hasn't played since then so um, you know we'll see I, I think it's exciting but I think at the same time if you're not nervous you don't care definitely going to be some nerves tomorrow um, thanks again to, to Ed for taking some time to chat with us earlier tonight you can hear that whole interview on the off the woodwork podcast folder on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. We talked for about 20 minutes about the tournament as a whole, about England and, and what to expect tomorrow, kind of the vibe. We also talked about the Georgia State women's program, who uh, Ed has done an amazing job getting them to a very, very high level, a team that you, you have to check out if you're, you follow soccer in Atlanta. Final thoughts from you on England, Jess. If if England gets the win here, and I'm not even going to ask you to say how, if they advance to the semifinal, what goes right for them tomorrow? 
I think they're clinical with the opportunities that they create. Uh, I think they set that statement early on. They go into this game on the front foot and they don't over-respect the French. I liked how Kyle Walker put it in that we're not going to roll out a red carpet for the French. We're not going to roll out a red carpet for Mbappe. We're going to make sure that we step to him, but we're also not going to put all our eggs in one basket. I think a lot of the times when teams have this big one named star, you focus so much on them and you forget about all the talent around him in the Griezmanns, in the Dembele, all of the players that France can have success with. And I think that we need to make sure that we focus on our game first rather than the French stars. And I think we have to be pretty perfect defensively, not giving up any of those poor balls that we gave up against Senegal early on because Pickford can't bail us out 24-7 in this one. And I don't know, Jason. I'm I'm pretty nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pretty nervous, particularly as on my uh, little prediction circle, I did have uh, France to knock out England. So I hope it doesn't come back to bite me. I mean, that would be going with the favorite. France is the favorite for a reason. They're really good. They're really a dangerous team in this. But I, I'm I'm with you. I think England can get it done. I think Jordan Henderson starting, providing that balance is key. I think Jude Bellingham, there's a heavy expectation on him in this match. Harry Kane has to do what Harry Kane's done throughout the tournament, which is create as much as get on the end of things. And you probably need a, a little bit of a, a transcendent performance from somebody else in the attack, whether it's Bukayo Saka, whether it's Phil Foden, whether it's my like Marcus Rashford off the bench, you're going to have to have somebody have that breakout performance that I think we're talking about at the end of this. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about this one in detail, 10 o'clock on 92.9 The Game and the odyssey app uh, we do have to go back to the news that we led with today uh the completely shocking uh death of grant wall u.s journalist covering the world cup in qatar ned price of the u.s state department issued a statement on twitter a little while ago and said we're deeply saddened to learn of the death of grant wall and send our condolences to his family with whom we have been in close communication we are engaged with senior qatari officials to see to it that his family's wishes are fulfilled as expeditiously as possible. Uh, CBS News also had a follow-up report. Ed O'Keefe uh, was on this, and there was a possibility of a heart attack, according to that report. That has not been confirmed. Uh, the cause of death has not been confirmed as of uh, midnight, as, as we're getting ready to wrap this show up. Um, just a shocking Thing that has happened at the end of a great day of soccer at the World Cup. Um, Grant Wall collapsed in the press box at the Argentina-Netherlands match, uh, could not be revived, and passed away in a hospital early Saturday morning Qatari time, which is after 4 o'clock Eastern time. Um, as somebody who has followed Grant's work um, for as long as I've been in the game, he is one of the most important soccer journalists that the United States has ever had, and his loss will be felt throughout the soccer scene and all aspects of it. He's always been an advocate for the sport and everybody in it, and we join the uh, thousands and thousands of, of voices out there sharing our condolences uh, and sending our, our best wishes to his family and friends and everybody in the U.S. soccer community. So. We will be back tomorrow to try to get back to the soccer side of things and talk about England, France, and talk about Portugal, Morocco, and set up these semifinals. 
Join us on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app tomorrow at 10 p.m. And also make sure you're subscribed to the Off the Woodwork podcast on the Odyssey app to hear all of our full interviews and all of our shows on demand. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Adios, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t